Hello and welcome to Making of a Historian, the podcast chronicling one grad student's quest to study for his comprehensive exams, which are tomorrow. Um, I kind of can't believe it. It's been so long uh, and I've been reading so much and going through so many ideas. I uh, am actually really excited for uh, what happens tomorrow. I'm also deadly, deadly nervous. Um, I have been doing so much work, reading so many things, writing so much up that I kind of just want to get it over with at this point. Um, if I got a phone call right now that told me I needed to go to campus ASAP and my exam had been moved up day, I would feel a great sense of relief. So this is going to be our last episode about, uh, the actual preparation for the exams. I'm going to return tomorrow afternoon, maybe tomorrow night. Uh, and discuss how the exams went. But this is the last episode that I'm going to be talking about this whole four-month-long process. And I'm going to talk about uh, technology versus energy. In my big argument about uh, the 18th and 19th century, at the center of it is the fact that British people learned how to make energy cheap, and this changed their economy, gave them a ton of power, let them expand their markets all across the world, and basically ushered in the modern era. Now, there's a really big counterpoint to this argument, uh, and it's a narrative that you're probably a lot more familiar with than this story that I'm telling about an energy-led uh, industrial revolution. And it would suggest that I'm missing out on the biggest piece of the puzzle. The big story is not the fact that British people got energy. That's a mere fact of the story. The big story is that British people inaugurated the modern world by making an era of continuous technological development. One explanation for this is institutional. The idea is that because 1688 happened, uh, the way that British government functioned changed. In 1688, you went from an absolutist monarchy to a parliamentary uh, monarchy that had credible commitment to not uh, farming taxes, to not exploiting the uh, people of the country for money. This credible, credible commitment was Parliament itself, the oversight that Parliament gave to tax raising, to spending revenue, uh, and to the power of the crown. This meant that people were able to save up uh, their capital without worrying that it would be stolen by Leviathan. And this allowed their institutions to gather money and knowledge and uh, machines and wheat and practices, and it allowed the economy to develop. It's a, it's a kind of a, a, a libertarian view of uh, how the Industrial Revolution happened. The Industrial Revolution happened in Britain from this standpoint because Britain was the first country to let the, the, the tension of government off of the people enough to let the people through the free market and through their free, you know, thinking uh, actually uh, change the way that industry is made. And there's another explanation that just simply points to the history of technology. Britain was able to develop the Industrial Revolution because it is the country of Isaac Newton, the first person to really figure out that there were stable mathematical rules for the functioning of the natural world. And this pushed people not only to study Newtonian mechanics, but also to try to look for solutions of natural problems in what we might call science. This 
scientific revolution in Britain was special because it was democratized. It was shared not just with the savants of the universities, uh, but also with the fabricants of the uh, uh, artisan communities, uh, with the uh, provincial uh, 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 intellectuals who read Newton and experimented with coal and searched for fossils and did all of this wide variety of curious things. So I'm going to argue against both of these explanations uh, of technological-driven change by looking closer at the first and the second Industrial Revolution. So the first Industrial Revolution is usually portrayed as a wave of gadgets that swept over Britain sometime in the late 18th century. Things like the steam engine, the cotton mule, uh, the spinning jenny, and the cotton gin. All of these inventions used... Uh, unremarkable mechanical technology to do new things in industry that had not been done before. And they allowed people to increase their production thousands of times more than ever before and kicked off a trend of continuous improvement. We can see this not only in industrial production, but agricultural production as well. Not only did Britons escape the Malthusian trap, they did so by uh, having fewer and fewer workers actually working on the land. This was because of agricultural technology increasing, because of the switching of different kinds of you know, yokes for horses, because of new kinds of uh, uh, plants and animals that are being traded around by scientifically minded gentlemen. I think that this story of the first Industrial Revolution is wrong. We're explaining the wrong thing from it. There's lots of inventions in the history of the world, lots of waves of gadgets that happened in the long history of the world. Just look at the history of technology in China, for example. Uh, they have the four great inventions, gunpowder, paper, the printing press, and the compass are surely as important for the long history of the world as the steam engine. But the thing about gunpowder, paper, printing press, and compass is that each one of these inventions just happened and then didn't spur other inventions on. The question is, how do you get continuous invention? How do you get nonstop technological change? How do you get to, you know, mangle an organizational sociology term, invention producing inventions? From this perspective, we have to look beyond the initial set of inventions in the cotton industry and try to figure out what about these new inventions caused them to change the way that everything was made. My perspective on this personally has shifted a lot. Uh, at the beginning of this study, four months ago, my argument would have been that it was changes to civil society that caused people to be able to make themselves into new kinds of groups, share information better, uh, and organize themselves better, and that this organizational revolution was the really big change. And so from that perspective, I actually made a very early Industrial Revolution. I would have said that the Industrial Revolution started sometime slowly between 1700 and 1750. But I've changed my mind. Now I don't think that it's civil society. I think that robust civil society has happened often in advanced organic economies. What changed, what was distinctive, is the growing availability of cheap energy. And this happens maybe around 1830 because of railways. And the mechanism here is really simple. Railways make it cheaper for people to transport coal. 
Cheap coal means cheap energy for a lot of industries, not just mechanical industries, not just cotton spinning, but brewing, brick making, soap making, glass making, um, bread making, anything that requires sustained heat, which is a lot of stuff. And in addition, uh, the railway lowered transportation costs for everything. And this meant that you could have much wider markets where people could specialize in various things, leading to what we might call Smithian growth, growth due to specialization and division of labor through the expansion of the market. So these two things uh, are what I think drives the continuous innovation. You get cheap energy, which makes a lot more things possible, and you get an expansion of the market because of cheaper transport that allows greater specialization. So you might find that explanation convincing. I certainly do. But it bumps up against a problem. And that problem is called the second industrial revolution. These are the wave of gadgets that uh, happen around the 1870s and 1880s, and they happen in a very different way than the first industrial revolution. The uh, mechanics that were involved in the first industrial revolution were actually relatively simple. Uh, some people say that they could have been made by the Romans, that the Romans actually knew all of the scientific principles that went into the steam engine and the spinning jenny. The second industrial revolution is very different. It is what we might think of as organizationally led. Uh, big organizations funded a lot of research and development by uh, employing scientists to fiddle with technology and make new things. And this led to new industries in electricity, in chemicals, including petroleum, in steel. Perhaps the most emblematic thing to come out of the second industrial revolution is the internal combustion engine, the car, the airplane. All of these things were created by self-styled inventors who went to school for engineering and science and tried to make something new. And they were often employed by large companies that uh, knew that to keep ahead of competitors, they had to push the envelope of invention. This seems to be about more than just energy. Um, it seems to be about more than just energy because the timing of it uh, is uncomfortable. If we thought that this was an energy-led revolution, then we would say that it should line up with the coming online of new energy sources. Uh, in the 1900s and 19-teens, you start to get people using petroleum in uh, uh, increasingly large amounts. You get people starting to use electricity. But the second industrial revolution starts to happen before these new energy sources come online. So there's no clear connection between technological boom and energy boom. And it also happens in different places. Britain is largely not uh, involved in the second industrial revolution. It gets some things like telegraph lines and some telephones, but really the second industrial revolution is a lot more of a story about Germany and America because it's in Germany and America that you get these large populations of engineers, uh, this combination between natural science and big business. 
And so this perspective seems to be a lot closer to the first two explanations for the Industrial Revolution that I went through, an institutional uh, explanation and a technological explanation. It seems that the Second Industrial Revolution is all about new kinds of organizations that are able to help people lower transaction costs, that give people credible commitment that their inventions matter, that allow people to lower the, the cost of information sharing. And it seems to be part of this snowballing effect of technological change. But part of my argument is not simply that the Industrial Revolution is a, a change in energy. My argument is more precisely that what changes in modernity is the availability of cheap energy. The things that we take as modern, uh, civil society, uh, robust education, larger lifespans, democracy, all of these things are related in sometimes deep, sometimes tendentious ways to changes in the energy regime. And so I want to give an, a counterfactual. If the second industrial revolution had not happened, would we still be in the modern world? In other words, if we lived in a steampunk 20th century, where instead of using oil and electricity, we still used coal and steam, would we still be modern? Would people still live in big cities, work for wages, participate in a market society? Would people still think of themselves as members of various kinds of overlapping distinctive groups? I think yes. I think that in the real ways that we want people to be modern, that the second industrial revolution did not change the world. It extended it. It made some things easier. Uh, it, for example, pushed modernity into new spaces like the home. But it did not lead to the kind of fundamental change that happened with the first Industrial Revolution. And you can see this in the cultural responses that you get to both. People after the first Revo Industrial Revolution, even during it, were deeply concerned about how profound the change was. People were concerned that uh, the industrial proletariat was going to sink into some sort of evolutionary mire and destroy themselves. People were concerned that by moving from country to city, uh, that culture was going to be completely destroyed. People were concerned that new kinds of politics that were rising up through these new mass movements were going to uh, make uh, 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 a tyranny. After the Second Industrial Revolution, people had no such deep fundamental uh, concerns about the stability of society. People were worried about, you know, the callowness of mass culture. People were worried about young children listening to jazz and watching movies. But it wasn't an existential threat. So thanks very much for listening to this last episode of Making of a Historian. If you like the show, rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, share us on social media. Tweet at me at, at MackieTeacher. Uh, I will be taking my exam tomorrow, and after it, I will come back, record a podcast telling about how it all went, maybe, uh, you know, looking over my shoulder at, at, at how things have been going. Um, and also, I am looking for ideas on what to do next with the podcast. I've enjoyed the opportunity of doing this, but next I want to actually tell a longer story. I want to spend more than a couple hours uh, actually drafting each podcast. I want to make it a little bit more professional. So if you have an idea about what I can do uh, in, like, let's call it season two of Making of a Historian, I would be really, really curious. Thanks to uh, Jonathan Lear for the music. You can find him on SoundCloud and on Bandcamp. Give him money. 
And thanks very much to Duncan Barton for our wonderful image. Duncan is doing a really cool project where he's doing a drawing uh, a couple times a week. You can find it on his Instagram, Duncan Draws. Uh, thanks very much for being with me this whole time. Um, it means a lot to have you invisible listeners out there uh, consuming this podcast as I'm going through this struggle. Uh, and I'll be back tomorrow, uh, maybe uh, uh, Wednesday, and I'll give I'll tell you how it went. Uh, hopefully I'll pass. Think about me. Uh, see you guys on Tuesday or Wednesday.